So we have one more week next week, and we're going to finish the story element of this uh, emphasis that we started a couple months back called Deeper, Wider, and Higher. So deeper is we've been diving deeper into some of the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Two weeks from today, we're going to start the wider section. And that's primarily going to be about questions that we all have. Different questions that we face that will stretch us. You know, if stories inform us, it seems as though the way we wrestle with questions will enlarge us. It'll make our spirit bigger, better in understanding other people and where they are coming from. So next week, we'll finish off this series, or the first part of this, and then we'll begin two weeks from today with something new. So... Today, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about exercising the piggery. Now, have you ever heard of the term piggery before? Okay. Piggery is a term of a place where swine are held captive. Okay, so we're familiar with different pig terminology. Uh, Probably what stands out the most to us is when our mom walked into our bedroom that was unkept and she said, this looks like a pigsty, okay? Um, A piggery is where pigs are bred and kept and caged, uh, often for slaughter for the bacon and eggs that you had for breakfast this morning. We use pigs as the object of making a bigger point. So we may have heard the phrase, you can put lipstick on a pig, but a pig is still a pig, right? Or how about pork barrel spending? Or when pigs fly is another way of saying in your dreams, right? Or some of us say, I went whole hog as a way of pulling out all the stops. But here's one I ran across that I've never heard before. Have you ever heard this phrase? Independent as a hog on ice. Have you ever heard that one? No? I, dev- I never heard that one either. It, it refers to a person who's too bullheaded to get anything done. They won't listen. Okay. So anyways, just like in political systems use donkeys and elephants in the American political system, the idea of a pig or a boar has a way of communicating something in the first century. And that relates specifically to this story about Jesus exercising a demon out of this man who was uncontrollable and threatening. Now, this message today is not talking about exorcism in a spiritual sense, like uh, exorcising demons out of someone. I think this story is talking about some other things that are happening because of where the story takes place. So what I'm going to do is talk about the context of this story and possibly what it can mean. So the story is first of all set in an area called the Decapolis. Now that doesn't mean anything to us, but... In Greek, the word deca means ten, polis meaning cities, the place of ten cities. So if you were in the Holy Land, and this is the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, as you go up toward the Sea of Galilee, and of course it's called a sea, but it's really just a big lake. Uh, It's not really a sea per se. But the Sea of Galilee was surrounded on the east side of it 
by 10 Gentile cities. So on the west side here was the population of Jewish people, but to the east were these different cities that were Gentile in nature, okay? And one of them is Gerasa here. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll find that the story says he came to the other side of the sea. So over here is Nazareth. Over here is Capernaum, where he did a lot of his miracles. But he went to the other side of the sea. He came to this place called Gerasa, and it has other spellings, and that's in the footnotes of your Bible, uh, the land of the Gerasenes. And he gets out of the boat, and it is there that he meets up with this individual that is out of control. As I mentioned during the scripture reading, in Mark, it is one naked, bloody man. In Matthew, it is two individuals. And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to cast out of this man what is called an unclean spirit or an impure spirit. Now, that should send off all kinds of signals because in the Jewish world, anyone that was Gentile, whether they were mentally ill or not, were considered unclean because they weren't Jewish, all right? So they were impure. These were people that would make you unclean, ceremonially unclean. And uh, so this particular individual, the first thing that he does not have going for him is the fact that he is living in a Gentile area. He has this unclean spirit around him because he's out of control. We don't know if he has a mental illness. We don't know... Uh, what's going on here? Many times in the New Testament, without the medical knowledge uh, that we have nowadays, a lot of diseases were given other names. So this guy might have been schizophrenic, you know, it could have been one of any number of things. Uh, a lot of times demon possession was attributed to people that they couldn't give explanation for what uh, they uh, were suffering from. But anyways, this particular individual here, is living out in an area uh, that is secluded, out among the caves. And he's been taken out there, and he has been dropped off, and he has been chained. Can you imagine that? He's been left to die, basically. He's been chained out in this area, and he has been given an identification and I think he might have heard this before, that you have so many demons that possess you, they are legion. Because Jesus will come to this man and ask him, what is your name? And he says, legion. Now, legion is a military term. A legion is uh, a garrison of soldiers, Roman soldiers, about 2,000 in number, and so the name legion is something that is a military term, and it is a term that um, identifies the plight of the Jewish people at that moment in time. They are under Roman oppression. Uh, they have been laboring for four successive empires. This goes back to our Daniel study on Wednesday night, where it begins with Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, and finally Rome. These four successive empires have suppressed them. 
have made them live under heavy taxation. Uh, many were very, very poor. Many had their land possessed by the empire. And it, again, it's a commonality where particular political systems will feed the top 5% of the population. They're well off, and the rest of the population has to survive to make ends meet. Okay? This has been something that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So this particular individual is under military watch. He has uh, been chained out to this place where he has basically been left to die. And what we find is when Jesus comes along and he is going to do a miraculous act of healing, he is going to uh, exercise these demons, and there is this encounter that says, uh, don't drive us out of the country. Put us in that herd of swine or uh, pigs. And so the pigs are the ones that absorb this oppressive, unclean spirit, and then they are driven off the edge and back into the lake or the sea. Now, the pig is an unclean animal. All the way back to the book of Leviticus, you have clean animals, you have unclean animals, those that are acceptable for consumption, those that are not, right? Now, a pig has a, um, a hoof that is split, and those type of animals were considered unclean. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, there's not a lot of reason given to us why some are clean and others are unclean. There might be some superstition that's involved in that. But either way, they did not consume pork, right? So here, this uh, miracle involves the image of pigs, which is an unclean animal. Lastly, the um, place that these pigs are driven into, they're driven off the edge of the cliff, and they go into the lake. Now, for a non-seafaring people, like the Jewish people, they are land people, they are agricultural, they are not seafaring people, Water is something that is very terrifying. So if you were to go out onto the Mediterranean Sea, or even Lake Erie for that matter, and the winds whip up and you're on the boat, things are chaotic. Things are out of control. And of course, the superstitions usually of the day is that there's some type of monster, there's some type of behemoth or leviathan that controls these waters, that makes them... Uh, dangerous. And so the Jews were very afraid of water. In other miracles that Jesus did, he walks on the water, walks on top of the sea, but the disciples, when a wind whips up a storm on the Sea of Galilee, they are all what? Deathly afraid. They're all deathly afraid. So kind of embedded in the culture of the Jewish people is the fear of water. And here these pigs are driven back into the watery chaos from which it is believed they came. Again, back to the book of Daniel, out of the waters comes these visions of these oppressive animals that are going to oppress the nation of Israel. So water is seen as the place of chaos, it's seen as the place of danger. So you put all that together, this really is more than a story than just about one individual who's been oppressed with some type of medical situation 
or spiritual situation if he truly was demon-possessed and it wasn't something medically that was wrong with him. Either way, the story is told by Mark in such a way that he is communicating something more than just this individual's personal problems. This is a societal problem. Does that make sense? It's a society that has been oppressed and chained by the powers that have come from the places of chaos. And out of that, there is the need for deliverance. So what happens here is an image. This individual represents, in many respects, the world of the, of the ancient world during Jesus' time, where many people have been oppressed and held down. And these are people. These are individuals that have been chained to a particular situation. Now, a name shapes identity. We do this all the time. You know, what is your name? And you tell someone your name, and maybe you were given that name for a particular reason. Maybe uh, mom and dad just like the name, or maybe they like the meaning of the name. Well, here, when he identifies himself as legion, what he is talking about is this strong, oppressive military force that is basically holding the people back from being free. Does that make sense? Okay. So the same thing was happening in our country when the civil rights movement was occurring during the 1960s. And Martin Luther King Jr. got up and he, he talked about, I have a dream, right? I have a dream of my people being able to sit on the bus and not be pushed to the back. I have a dream of my kids going to school with other You know, that whole thing of freedom to be set free. Well, the boar or the pig was also the image of paganism too. Because sometimes these... A Roman legion would take up the image of an animal uh, that would be part of uh, the banners that they would wave as they invaded places and so forth. One of them was the image of the boar. Now the boar is an image that I read out of Psalm 80, remember, that goes through the vineyard and is ravaging all the places that can be fruitful and, and damaging it. However, interesting side note, uh, they can also be helpful. France right now, when I came across this this past week, I thought this was fascinating, are actually using pigs in their fields where they grow the grapes for champagne to do weeding. Uh, so you know how it is. When you pull a weed, you don't get the root, and it all comes back. I guess some pigs can be trained to go where the vineyards are and eat these, the, the weeds and the roots and thus allow the vineyards to actually flourish from not being overcome by weeds. So it, it's fascinating. But anyways, in this situation, the boar is very threatening. The boar is uh, dangerous. The boar represents oppression. Now, this really represents the strong arm tactics that have been happening to the Jewish people for centuries. Now, I mentioned earlier a, a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. So, in the Old Testament, Babylon is conquered by Medo-Persia, and then Medo-Persia is conquered by Greece. And one of the subsets of the Greek Empire are the Seleucids. 
Now the Seleucids had a leader by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he invaded Jerusalem and he wanted to set up an altar to, to Zeus rather than an altar to Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people. And as he went into the temple, what he did is he desecrated the temple by slaughtering this unclean animal, a pig, and putting its blood on the altar. And that became known as the abomination of desolation. He was so... Uh, he was an individual that was so oppressive and violent that he did not care about the Jewish people. He went in and basically desecrated the temple and forced the Jewish people to eat pig. Now, this is an unclean animal, right? But he's going to force them to eat pork uh, because it made them unclean. So all of these things are coming together. And it's a story, really, of political piggery. It is where uh, the Roman Empire has encaged the nation of Israel. And this one man becomes a symbol, if you will. He is the one that kind of represents what's happening during that day. However, Jesus steps into the story. And immediately, this man sees Jesus coming out of the boat. And he says, what do you have to do with me, O God of the Most High? Interesting, the one true God, the God who is above all other gods. What do you have to do with me? So Jesus, by stepping into Gentile territory here, the Decapolis, is confronting all this oppressive power, and he is opposing all the oppressive forces that is basically bringing continued chaos. So that is a political type of story, as well as a personal story. We can't forget the individual, right? Here is a man who, for whatever reason, has broken the chains over time that he had been chained to the place of death among the tombs. He's been chained there. And he is bloody because he's probably been pulling to get these chains off. He's cut himself. He's bloody, which is another thing that makes him unclean to the Jewish people. If you touch someone who even was in their menstrual cycle, uh, they're considered unclean in the Old Testament. So there's all kinds of connections here. What has happened, though, is this man has been left to die. He's been ostracized. He's been pushed to the edges. We don't want to see him. We don't want to hear from him. Remember the uh, story says he would howl at the top of his lungs, right? So all of these things are coming together, and what we find is Jesus confronts him. He asks his name. My name is Legion, for we are many. And then this guy begged him, actually, not to destroy the... Uh, the legion of demons, but to go into the swine. They go over the edge, into the water, and now word gets out about what has happened. Back in the villages, the word gets out that Jesus has exercised the demons from this man, and he has actually witnessed all of this prophet going over the edge of the hill right? Because the pigs 
to the Romans was an, uh, uh, a herd of money, right? It costs money. So here Jesus is exercising these demons so this guy can be set free only to find profits go down the drain, right? So interestingly enough, you would think that the crowd would say, oh my gosh, this guy, he's there sitting in his right mind. They all come out to see what's happening. This naked, bloody guy has now been given life, and he's sitting there sane. He's calm. He's under control, right? And so what do the people do? Instead of saying, praise God, right? They go, Jesus, can you leave, please? They want him out of the neighborhood. Interesting reaction. Why do you think that? I think they think that because Jesus has done this and there's this large amount of profit that's gone over the edge, the Romans are going to send in another military garrison and punish these people for what has happened. Are you following what I'm saying? Jesus, we can't have you doing this anymore because you're going to put us in danger by doing these type of things with those that are in power. So you see the oppressiveness, I think, in this story. Now, what does this teach us? The people become afraid. They become a witness to the power of God, but they tell Jesus to go home. Why? Why do they do that? I think they do that because here's what happens in society. It's not just politics, but religion as well. Fear-based politics and religion is usually at the root of our violence, bigotry, and hatred. Imagine if we could just trust that at the core of the universe, at the core of all that there is, is a benevolent reality that we call God that longs for human flourishing. And imagine if that becomes the source where we can exercise the piggery that keeps people chained and under control. I think the story of this man is the story of someone like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that says, I have a dream. Let justice roll down like waters. In other words, a place where all human beings are respected, a place where all human beings can flourish, a, a place where all human beings are free, being able to be set free from the constraints of those in power, either in politics or religion, that want to oppress people, use people, and profit from people. So this story can be very powerful if we read it through that lens, and I think it's justified by the terminologies that are used here. So G, uh, we, um, SD and I watched on Netflix this past week a movie that's called Jesus Revolution. If you want to understand the difference between Christianity in the early 70s and where we are today, it's a great movie to watch. The reason it was called Jesus Revolution is during the latter stages of the Vietnam War, there were many young people that were hippies, that began to call for love and peace uh, and to get out of Vietnam. And um, these individuals 
you you know you know the pictures. They drove Volt, Volkswagen vans and they went uh, uh, barefoot and had long hairs and had flower power. Some of us remember these days, okay? But God began to do a work in the hearts of young people. That's why it's called Jesus Revolution, and they began to turn to God, and as they began to turn to God, what was interesting is that people that were in established religion didn't want to have anything to do with them, and didn't want them in their churches. And if you have Netflix, watch it. It's fascinating. It's pretty true to life. I came to know the Lord in 1975, so that was working toward the tail end of the Jesus Revolution, but at the same time, you know, it was still the era of bell-bottom jeans and uh, that whole thing, right? What you find is God was doing a work, and there was pushback on God's work. And when it gets pushed back, then people will begin to uh, change to control what's going on. And here we are today, all these decades later, and we're finding that Christianity has become the source of much oppression, rather than setting people free. And that we need to pray that God will do another work to set people free and be given liberty. So society has seemed to always have the need for people to be liberated from oppression, whether it's because of racism or because of other religions that we're afraid of. And those are some of the questions that we'll address in the next segment of our time. So here's my point. Be, beware of systems that try putting lipstick on a pig. Any system that leaves you bound will also leave you broken and bleeding. So we have to be discerning. Because sometimes it can be very convincing. But if you have less freedom, less joy, then you need to question it, right? You need to double back because God is the one that is all about setting people free. Let's watch. There's a world at war caught in suffering Silent casualties Oh God grant us peace In these sleepless nights I can hardly breathe Despite brutality I know that we'll be free I know that we'll be free Let the light keep it shining let it break into the darkness All the love dares us to see We'll all be free In these desperate times Love will hold us here Love will join our hands Teach us to have no fear So we lay our hand down to wash their feet when we see our brother oh we'll all be free oh yes we'll all be free let the light keep it shining let it break into the darkness all the love there's us to see we'll all be free 
Let the lighting keep it shining Let it break into the darkness All the love dares us to see We'll all be free We'll be free Free We'll all be free We'll be free Free We'll all be free and we treat each other with respect, and we love each other, and we serve each other. I think uh, we'd still need another Jesus revolution in our day and age. Stand with me, please, would you, as we close? I think this is an appropriate way to close our time together this morning, to go back to that chorus that was found in Psalm 80. Let's say it with full voice together as our final prayer. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. One more time. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance and give you peace. Amen. Have a great day.